are continuing in the series that we have been in, The Big Story, right? The Big Story. And uh, if you have not been around here, this is your first time this morning. This is a, uh, we're, we're looking at the big story of Scripture, saying from the beginning to the end, what is it that God is trying to do? What is this story that he's telling? And there's two things that are really important for us. Uh, the first one is to just what is the story and answer the question, how do I fit into God's story? Right? We said this. It's not about how does God fit into my life. How do I fit into his story? That's the first thing we're looking at. But the, the second thing we want to look at is how does this whole big story constantly point us to Jesus? This whole thing's about him. And how does this story constantly lead us there? And this morning, you're going to see this exact thing. Now, I mentioned this last Sunday, and I'm going to say it again today. Last week's message this week's message and two weeks from today when we continue in this series are the three hardest messages because I have to preach a massive portion of scripture in a very small amount of time, all right? So give me some grace, all right? You're just gonna stick with me. If your neighbor starts falling asleep, you're gonna hit him, right? Say yes, yes, okay, thank you, okay? Stick with me, and I, but I do believe God's got a word for every one of you this morning. I think he's gonna meddle with some of us today, so I'm excited to be able to share this. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you don't know where Deuteronomy is, open your table of contents. It's right in there, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Would you stand with me as our tradition around here? Nothing sacred. We just stand to say, God, we value your word above everything else. Chapter 30, verse 6 says this. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart with all your soul, and live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we shut out everything else right now. We open our ears and our hearts, and we say, would you speak to us? God, speak to us. Shine a light on our hearts, Lord. Reveal anything that would get in the way of following you, Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So if you're like me, you probably heard that verse. You're like, that's a weird verse to read. We're talking about circumcision this morning. That's great, okay? Um, yeah, kind of. All right. I get it. So let me give you a little context so you know what I'm talking about before we get into the passage this morning. Who is it that said this? This is said by Moses. This is spoken by Moses. And why is he sharing this? He's, uh, let's get a little context here. You know, go back a, a few uh, moments in the story. And Moses has led the Israelites, the people of God, out of Egypt. Now they have gone up to Mount Sinai. He has gone up to Mount Sinai in the presence of God. And God makes this covenant with his people, the Israelites. And he says, listen, I'm going to be faithful to you. You guys just need to be faithful to me. There's this mutual thing that's going on. And the problem is Moses comes down. And if you've ever seen the movie, he comes down with the Ten Commandments. And what does he see? They've already been unfaithful. They're sitting there worshiping a golden calf, and he's like, you gotta be kidding me, folks. I was just gone for a few days. What is going on? These people have already turned away, but this is the pattern that we see over and over throughout the Old Testament. It's turning away. It's unfaithfulness. And so now the, the people have wandered, and they've, they've gone now to the point of stepping into the promised land. They're supposed to go into this promised land, and they send some spies into it. We talked about last week, they send spies into the land. And the spies come back and they're like, this land that God has promised for us, it's amazing, it's awesome. There's just everything you could ever imagine, but there's giants in the land and there's fortified cities. And I don't think God can really take care of it. You see, they had experienced all of the blessings of God. God had done miracle after miracle after miracle. And still, they had a hard time trusting God. And I think all of us have the same problem. 
We struggle to trust God. We struggle to really believe what he said. Think about it. That's the root of every problem we have. Go back to the garden. Eve says, God, I'm going to do things my way. Why? Because she didn't trust that God had her best interests in mind. Right? Because what the sermon comes say, did God really say that? I think God's holding out on you. And see, we operate the same way. We say we want to do things our own way. Why? Because we think that all the good stuff is outside of the confines of what God says is okay. Right? We say, oh, the good stuff's out there, God. I want to do it that way. I'm going to do things my way. I don't really trust that the good stuff is yours. But listen, if God truly is creator all, if he was the one who designed things, my guess is he knows what's best. And if we're really going to operate as followers of Christ, we have to walk in trust. That's what we have to do. But we struggle with it. I know I struggle with it. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I struggle trusting God. I think I know better. I think I know what's right for my life. And so this is the issue that's going on. And so because they don't trust God, it says for 40 years they begin to wander. And they wander in the desert. Why? Because God said until the generation that, that dies off, that had no faith, that weren't willing to trust me, until they die off, you're not going into the promised land. So those, that generation is gone. And so now it is time to step into the promised land. And Moses stands before the people again. And he says, all right, folks, it's time to go into the promised land. And so he reaffirms, you'll read this in the chapters before what we read. He reaffirms this covenant. Listen, God said he would be faithful to you. You just gotta be faithful to him, right? This is this relationship that has to happen. But listen, if you're faithful, it's gonna be blessing. It's gonna be good for you. It's gonna go well with you. There's life for you. But if you are unfaithful, it's going to bring destruction and ultimately it will lead to your exile from the land this promised land that i'm giving you you're not even going to get to stay there because of this and so this is that moment you would think that this is time for like the pre-game speech you know what i'm talking about how many of you like sports movies anybody like sports movies nobody likes sports movies that's great okay a couple of you like sports movies i love sports movies i does anybody else cry in sports movies thank you okay like, that's the one style I always cry in because it's so moving. Like, they win the game and it's so good. It's amazing, okay? But there's always that moment if you watch a good sports movie, right? The coach gets in front of the team right before the big game, you know, and gives that big pep speech, you know, gets them going, ah, you know, and they're like, ah, let's go. And I'm, I, right now I've been coaching a third grade boys basketball team. I've given some pretty awesome speeches. I have. But generally while I'm trying to talk to the kids, I'm like, quit picking your nose, you know, <laughs> look at me, look at me while I'm talking to you. They don't pay any attention, but this is what I feel like, and I feel like this is the moment that should happen. Moses should stand in front of the people and like, we're going to go take the promised land. Let's go. Ah, you know, and that's not what he does. You know what he says? Hey, you guys are going to go into the promised land, right? And you're supposed to be faithful. You know what's going to happen? You're going to screw it up. Read it. You're going to fail. You're going to mess things up. You're going to turn from God. You know what's going to happen? destruction. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get exiled out of the land that God has promised you. That's what's going to happen. It's like, bummer, Moses. <laughs> like, can we have a little more positive talk here? That would be helpful for us. Why does Moses say this so confidently? He just spent the last 40 years with these people. <laughs> he knew what they were like. He knew that their propensity to go the wrong way, to do the wrong thing, right? But at the end of this, he, he says this verse that we just read. He points to a day that's going to come. This day that's going to come when God is going to circumcise their hearts. Now, what does that mean? We know what circumcision is. I'm not going to have biology class here. What is circumcising your heart? What does that mean? The idea is this, that 
that God cuts away what is hard about your heart. Like that stuff that is broken in you that you can't fix, God actually can cut that away and expose the flesh again in a fresh way, in a new way. But it's more than that because uh, circumcision was a sign of commitment, but it was also a sign of identity, saying this is who I am. When God circumcised your hearts, he says, listen, you are my child. That's who you are. I'm doing a new work inside of you. Not something that's based on your abilities. This is something I'm gonna do. And see, this is what Moses is pointing to. And so before we get into this story, we're gonna read a a, a big passage of the scripture. What you have to see, it's gonna get bad over and over and over again. And Moses knew it. Why? Because we all have the same problem. But he's pointing to a day when Jesus will come and do for you what you can never do for yourself. That's where the gospel is, all right? And so we're gonna go back into the story here. And so I wanna pull up the timeline here to kind of follow along where we've been at. Here's the 30-second the flyover of where we've been, all right? Beginnings, in the beginning, God. in the beginning, God. This is his story, it's not our story, right? But God creates all things perfect, exactly the way they're supposed to be, no pain, all things are just, it is beautiful, and he has established himself over this kingdom. It's perfect, but we get to page two, what happens? Mankind sins, and it's broken. Relationship with God is broken, creation is frustrated, right? But God gives a promise from the very beginning, he says, listen, one day there will be a seed of this woman that will crush the serpent's head, I'm gonna deal with this thing. We are getting to Jesus, remember that, all right? We get to week number two, we talked about Abraham. Abraham is a man where God begins this journey by saying, I'm going to come to you. I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And then through your family, I will bless all of creation. All right. And so this family turns into a nation and we get to the Exodus, right? And and the people of God are now in slavery in Egypt. And God does a miracle through Moses to bring them out and to set them free. And now we've got this nation and they go up to the mountain. God makes the uh, covenant with them. And now they're about to step into the next section, which is the promised land. And Moses is standing in front of these people talking to them. And here's the deal. Moses The reason he knew that those people would fail was because he had also failed. Because of his failure, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. But he's standing before them and he speaks to the people and he's about to hand the reins off to another man and that man's name is Joshua. Joshua. And God says, listen, I'm gonna do the same thing through you, Joshua. In fact, it says it this way in Joshua chapter one, verse five. It says, as I was with Moses, remember I was with Moses, remember all the miracles I did, the amazing things I did through Moses? As I was with him, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you know that verse, you've never known where it was at, okay? There it is. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And if you know the story, Joshua does amazing things, and his job is to lead the people into this promised land, the promised land that is full of a group of people known as the Canaanites, And we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. And their job was to push all the Canaanites out and to take over this land. And as we'll see, uh, they kind of do it, all right? They kind of do it. How many of you have ever asked a kid to clean something and they kind of clean it? You know what I'm talking about? Happens all the time. My wife would say she asked me to clean things and I kind of clean them, but whatever. I do my best, all right? So you get, into the, you get into Joshua, and Joshua is full of some of the best stories, uh, you know, some crazy stories. The first city they get to when they go in, they're supposed to take over the city of Jericho. You know, the city of Jericho, the story of Jericho. We're all very familiar. Some of you maybe know the song. If you know the song, sing it with me. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, 
Jericho. Come on, sing, Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho. Here it comes. And the walls come tumbling down. You know that song. A couple of you. The church people know that song. That's fine. <laughs> the old school church people know that song. All right. But we know this, it's like one of, those, one of those fun stories, you know, like where God does a miracle. And if you're familiar with it, God says, listen, you're going to walk around the walls once, uh, once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk seven times around the walls. And you're going to blow the trumpets. And I'm going to knock the walls down and, and you'll take the city. It's a beautiful thing. And a lot of times we preach this story to say, you know what? God can, can knock down the walls that you can't knock down. And that's true. It's absolutely true. But when you study the archaeology... Jericho was not that big of a city. It was fortified, but it was not that big of a city. And if you actually looked at the amount of Israelite soldiers they had, they probably could have taken Jericho by themselves. There was enough of them. You know what God was trying to teach them? Trust me. Will you listen to me? Will you do things my way? I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> like, we're going to just walk around the walls for a few days. <laughs> Seems ridiculous to do that. But God's saying, listen, will you listen to me? Will you obey what I'm asking you to do? Because if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to actually trust me, put your faith in me, I will do for you what you could never do for yourself. And see, God is starting to lead us to this desperate need of faith, this desperate need for Jesus. He's constantly pointing us and preparing us for the need for Jesus. And so this is what takes place in Jericho. Amazing story. He goes on, and the rest of the book of Joshua is God over... Uh, uh, doing works on his behalf and asking, will you trust me? Will you, will you believe him? Will you, will you do what I ask you to do? And so he's driving out the people, the rest of the book of Joshua. They don't fully get everybody out. How many of you like brownies? Anybody like brownies? Brownies, that's my favorite dessert. Okay, I love brownies. I love brownies. I love nice warm brownies. My favorite ice cream is Cold Stone French Vanilla with brownie in it, if anybody... Yeah, right? My favorite little treat, my favorite little Debbie treat is cosmic brownies. Anybody like cosmic brownies? My wife bought me a cosmic brownie for Valentine's Day. It was awesome, okay? If you love me, you can buy me cosmic brownies. That's fine. All right, I will not turn them away. I call them little brown balls of chemicals. There is nothing real in those things, but they're awesome, okay? They are really, really good. All right, so I want you to imagine for yourself that I bake a nice tray of brownies, right? Oh, it's just good. They're warm fresh, you know, and I cut you a brownie. Some of you are hungry. That's fine. Cut you a brownie, and I give you the brownie, and right when you're about to take a bite, I say to you, hey, just a heads up, I got a little bit of poop in the brownies. <laughs> just a little bit. Don't worry. Mostly fine. <laughs> just a little bit of poop in the brownies. Like, you ain't eating the brownie, right? Because you know that that messed the whole thing up. You're like, I don't care. I don't want any poop in my brownies. All right? This is what the Israelites did. The Canaanites, if you want to know who the Canaanites were, the Canaanites were an extremely evil group of people. They did some crazy stuff. They had pagan worship. They would sacrifice their own children regularly to their God. They were involved in exceedingly perverse sexuality. It was crazy when you read the stories of the Canaanites. And God said, you need to get all of them out. Why? Because if you don't get them all out, then what's going to happen? You're going to have some problems. And you're going to deal with the word that all of us struggle with, and that's the word compromise compromise get it all out otherwise you're going to have problems and here's what happens to the israelites they compromise and the compromise results in unfaithfulness the unfaithfulness results in destruction and the destruction leads to their exile but it all starts with a little poop in the brownies you're not going to forget that one are you 
So we get to the end of Joshua, we go into the book of Judges. What's the book of Judges? It's not a bunch of people, you know, swinging gavels. That's not what a judge is. A judge in scripture is this person who was raised up almost like a military leader to come and rescue the people, to lead the people to victory when they were struggling with something. And what we see in the book of Judges is God's people, they kind of get lost, right? They, they compromise, they get going the wrong way. And what happens is they get going the wrong way and eventually get to a point where like, God, will you save us? Will you rescue us? And God raises up a judge to come and defend them, to protect them, to, to rescue them. And they're like, awesome, God, we love you forget you and they go back to doing their own thing and then they get in trouble God will you come save us and God raises up a judge and this cycle happens over and over and over again and as you read the book of Judges it's as if the Israelites just keep spiraling deeper and deeper into sin and to rebellion why because that's what compromise does it's what it does it doesn't know anything else but to cause you to consistently go the wrong direction listen nobody wakes up and says they want to have an affair. Nobody does. Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what? I just want to be unfaithful to my wife. Like, that's what I want to do. Nobody wakes up that way. How does it happen? Lots and lots of small compromises. Those decisions that nobody else, it didn't seem like that big of a deal in the moment. But one leads to another, to another. Listen, nobody says, I want to struggle with an addiction. Nobody says, I want to struggle with some other sin issue. Nobody wants, nobody, nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I just want to be cold and distant from God. That's what I want. I want to just feel, I want to feel like my faith is just dead. That's what I want to feel. Nobody wakes up and says that. It's just small compromises, one after another, that lead us down to places we don't want to go. You may need to write this down. You have no idea the pain you are bringing into your life when you have to convince yourself that something is okay. You have no idea the pain you are bringing into your life when you have to convince yourself that something is okay. Because you, you we all know it, the self-talk. You know what I'm talking about? Like you argue with yourself. You know, there's something you should do, you shouldn't do, and you just start, you're debating. It's like you got the angel and the demon on each shoulder, you know, trying to convince yourself one way or the other. And you know it, there's been times in your life where you have convinced yourself to do something that you know you shouldn't have done, right? You convince, and you talk yourself into it, and you take that step. Problem is, you've just gone one step closer to wherever the inevitable end is. If you ever have to convince yourself that something's okay, that's a pretty good sign it's not. Because if it was okay, you wouldn't have to convince yourself. And my challenge to you is, man, you've got to, if you get into a place where you are convincing, stop and turn and walk away. If it's a sexual one, you need to run, okay? Run, as it says in the New Testament. There's only one area that he says you need to run. It's from sexual temptation, because that's an area we struggle with more than anything else, all right? And if you don't do that, here's what happens. The more you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, the more you become numb to his voice in your life. And that's what happened. They were so far from God, they couldn't even recognize it anymore. They didn't even know what he wanted anymore. So we go on in the story. And so we've got, uh, if we get to the end of the book of Judges. And here's what it says. It says, they all did what seemed right in their own eyes. You got all these people, kind of sounds like our world today, eh? Right? We've so pushed away truth that we'll just do whatever seems right to us. Whatever makes sense to me. Yeah, that, that might be evil, but you know what? Seems good to me. We're going to go with that, okay? 
And this is the situation that they find themselves in. And so you get to the next uh, part of the story. You've got all these tribes. Remember last week I, I talked about the fact that there were all these brothers and these 12 brothers eventually became 12 tribes of Israel. So this nation of Israel really is made up of 12 different little small groups within it. And all these groups kind of come together and they realize, you know what? All these other nations around us, they all have kings, but we don't have a king. We want a king like everybody else has, right? That's our problem. The problem isn't that, that our God is failing. It's that we need a king. We don't want you, God. We want our own king like everybody else. And Samuel, who's the prophet at the time, he's kind of ticked off at the people like, what are you doing? God is your king. That's who you should be serving. God speaks to Samuel and says, listen, they're not denying you. Don't get mad at them. They're not denying you. They're denying me. Give the people what they want. And here's what you have to understand. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. If you want to turn away, it's your choice. Go for it. You're going to experience the consequence of that decision. But God will say, okay, go for it. And so God says, all right, give them a king. And if you follow the story, the first king that's selected is uh, anointed is Saul. And uh, so now these 12 tribes are now unified as one solid kingdom altogether, right? With Saul as the king. And things don't go very well with Saul. <laughs> he gets going the wrong way pretty quickly. And so God says, you know what? I'm done with you. We're going. I'm anointing another king and that's King David. Now, you might know the King David. This is the same David as David and Goliath, right? It's amazing. And I want, but I want to go to the anointing of David because this is an important moment to understand what, what God values and what our faith should be grounded in. If you look at uh, the passage of Scripture, uh, God says, okay, go to a man. Samuel, I want you to go to a man named Jesse. He's got all these boys. And I want you to anoint one of them because one of them is going to be the new king. And so all these guys, he parades them out like cattle in front of Samuel, right? And the first one comes by and like, oh, that's a good look. He's tall, he's strong, he looks like a king. I want that guy to be my king. And this is the passage that, that God says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says, listen, Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, this is critical because Sometimes you, I'll have people come into church and they think that spirituality is like getting my stuff together, right? If, if I come and I can do the right things, then, then God will have to like me. Everything will have to be okay. He won't be mad at me anymore. No, no, no. That's not it. It has to begin in your heart. God desires your heart. And this is what we see throughout all the Old Testament. They consistently do the ritualistic things, but their hearts have grown cold and they've gone far from God. And his desire is heart. And so finally, it says in this passage, David is a man after my own heart. And you think in the story, like, finally, all these people have been turning away from God. All these people have been having problems. Finally, we have this amazing man, David. And if you read the beginning, it starts good. He's, you know, he loves God. He sings songs. He writes music. He, a lot of the psalms are written by him, right? And, and you get into the story a little bit. He kills Goliath. He has integrity. Like, he understands spiritual authority. All these things, it's pretty awesome. And you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and God says, listen, I'm going to establish your throne forever, David. And if you follow the lineage of Jesus, Jesus comes from the line of David. This is a part of its precursor. It's saying, listen, there is going to be a greater king coming one day. So you think, oh, David, we got a good king here. Except four chapters after God makes this proclamation, you know what happens? David and Bathsheba. That's the story where David has an affair, and then because he wants to cover it up, he has the husband killed. And you think, I thought we, we were so close. <laughs> we were so close to having a good one. 
Now you get the son of David is who? Solomon. Solomon, you think he's a great guy too because you think, oh, he, when God says you can have anything, he says, I would like wisdom. Doesn't that sound like a nice thing? Like, I don't, I'd have said like, give me a new car, give me something, whatever. He's like, give me wisdom. It's great. And God says, listen, I'm gonna give you wisdom and I'm gonna give you all the wealth and all this stuff. And Solomon, you would think he's the most prosperous man at the time. Amazing, but if you go to the beginning of his story in 1 Kings chapter three, it says something very clear. It says, okay, uh, Solomon followed in the ways of his father David. He did all the, he loved God, right? Except he still was making sacrifices on the high places. What is that? Compromise. Little poop in the brownies. And what happens? By the end of Solomon's reign, the kingdom is actually divided and it leads to the ultimate destruction, right? And so we get to the end of the story here and and we'll continue this in two weeks as we continue with the series. But we get to the end of this section and it's like over and over and over again. What are we saying? We're saying the same thing Moses had said centuries earlier. Listen, you're gonna fail. You can't do this. Your hope can never be in you. When your hope is you, you are in serious trouble. The only hope is that one day God will circumcise your heart, that he will do a work on your behalf. And see, it isn't just uh, Moses that said this. You fast forward to the, the New Testament in Romans. Romans chapter seven, Paul, this amazing man of faith, he wrote so many of the books of our New Testament and he said the exact same thing. He said, ah, oh, man, the things that I don't wanna do, I do. The things that I wanna do, I can't do. Like, what is going on with me? I can't figure things out. And you get to the end of chapter seven and this is what it says. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, I got, God, I can't, I can't figure it out. I keep going the wrong direction. I think about that in my own life. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the hope is. All right? So I want to get to our big so what. Every week we have so what. So what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I say, I mean, she probably will, okay? But here's the big so what for this morning. Our only hope is surrender. Our only hope is surrender. What do I mean? Your hope is not in you efforting your way to some better level of spirituality, that you're gonna make things right, right? Here's your only hope. Your hope is that you lay yourself down and completely surrender yourself to the God of all creation and say, my trust is in you, my faith is in you, my life is in you, and your only hope is that he will do something for you that you can't do for yourself that he will circumcise your heart, that he will transform your heart, that he will get a new heart for you, that he will do a spiritual work that is so much more than just behavior management, right? Sometimes we turn spirituality into behavior management. I just have to be better. No, you need to be made new. You need to be made alive because apart from Christ, you are dead. You are utterly dead, right? The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, but it only comes through surrender. It comes through surrender. When Jesus said, who can come after me? You got to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow me. See, if you don't die, there is no life available to you. It sounds kind of depressing, but actually it's the best gift in the world because you get to trade your broken, fallen life for eternal Zoe life that is the way God intended it from the beginning. 
And there's some of you here this morning that you need to step into that life. You need to surrender, maybe for the very first time, to give your life to Jesus. Say, my hope is in you. My life is in you. I give everything I am to you and to receive that life. But here's the problem. We got other people in the room. We got good church people. And I can talk to you because I am a good church person. I've been in church my whole life. Here's what can happen. We follow Jesus for 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 70 years. And we begin to forget how broken and lost we are. We get to a place where we think our spirituality is based on our goodness. Like, man, I know the Bible so well, right? I'm so smart that way, man. I, I go to church all the time. I do all the right things. I check all the boxes. But I'm the crotchetiest person you'll ever meet. I love church people, but some of the crotchiest people I've ever met in my life are church people because they forgot where their hope is. It is not them. Their hope is in surrender. And problem is if we stop surrendering, if we stop dying to ourselves, if we stop laying ourselves down, then we end up filling ourselves with our own pride, our own self-righteousness, and thinking we got our stuff together. And then we look down on anybody else who isn't where we're at. And the hope that we have is surrender, that we would lay ourselves down and we would say, God, I know I'm broken. I know it. And we don't just do it once 25 years ago. We do it this morning. And we do it tomorrow morning. And we say it over and over, God, I need you. I need you. Until we have hearts of repentance like that, until we have hearts of surrender like that, we are heading the wrong way. And that compromise will result in things you don't want to imagine. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would all, once again, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, say, God, I'm yours. I acknowledge my need for you. God, you're my hope. It's not me. God, may I never get down the road like the Israelites do because I've gone so long without surrendering. God, may I operate on the daily surrendering to you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you constantly have an invitation to us. You're constantly inviting us near to yourself. We thank you for that, Lord. But God, on behalf of this group of believers right now, God, I acknowledge that there are many times where we don't operate in surrender. There are many times where we try to do things our way. We don't trust you. We just don't. We can say it, we can sing it, but we really don't in our heart of hearts. And this morning, we just admit that. And in repentance, we turn away from that attitude. We turn toward you. And God, we surrender ourselves to you again. God, you are where our hope is. You are where the life is. We thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray for every person who, who maybe is in a place right now, if they're totally honest, they have been compromising. And right now they are stepped into a sin issue. There is something that is lingering in their life because they have been making too many compromises. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction right now. And God, that they would recognize that you're not waiting to whack them over the head. You have open arms saying, would you come just lay it down again? Let me make you new. Let me wash you clean. Let me give you another, another start to this. God, I pray that that would, that would be speaking and ringing in ears right now. Lord. God, I pray that your, your love and your grace would be revealed. But God, it starts in a position of absolute surrender. We thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts, have your way in our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, would you stand up with me across the room? 
I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. Uh, if you're here with our prayer team, we just come off to the sides. If, as we close this morning, there, there may be some of you that need prayer, but I would guess this. There may be some of you that need to come down to these stairs um, and not to a person because you need to surrender some things. You need to spend a little time in prayer with God and offer some things over to him. I'm gonna make space for you to be able to do that here this morning. We're closing a little bit earlier this morning and, and I hope there's some space for some of you to do that. But I wanna give a challenge to every one of you and this is very specific. I, I, I never wanna walk out the doors and say, okay, now what do I do with that? Like, how do I actually implement that? And here's the challenge that I have for this week. Start your day with surrender. Every day this week. Start your day with surrender. Don't start your day with, you know, whining. Don't start your day with just a shower. Don't start your day. You should take a shower at some point. That's a good thing. Don't start your way with something else. Start your day with surrender. Wake up and let the first thing you say, God, I'm yours. God, I need you. I, sur- I lay my heart down before you. I acknowledge my dependence on you. Let that be the beginning of your day, all right? And I believe as we do that, we're gonna more and more step toward God as opposed to making compromises that lead us away from him, all right? I wanna pray over you as we go. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will use these people to bring your kingdom to this world. God, that you would bring life to this world through these individuals, Lord, as they act in surrender. May you work through them. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Everybody said